When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. Uh, this week, coming to you from Los Angeles, uh, almost Los Angeles International Airport. Uh, you know, there are worse places to be. I, I suppose uh, you'd like to be there at a different time of year than like August. But, uh, yeah, well, you know, sometime other than fire season. But hey, all year is fire there's season. Not, there's not much smoke around here right now, so. Right. And we're also joined this week by a friend of the podcast, Casey Liss. Hello. How are you guys? Uh, we're, we're excellent. Thank you for tearing yourself away from your uh, beautiful expanding brood um, to spend <laughs> some time talking cars with us. Uh, you know, the pleasure is always mine. I, I give you guys a lot of a lot of uh, crap because you record later than I'm used to. But if anyone is worth it, it is you two fine gentlemen. So I appreciate you having me back on. <laughs> and the bullshit starts right, right. away. <laughs> Flattery will get you. No, you know, pretty what? much everywhere. Hey, I just yeah, want to get so... invited back, you guys. Uh, yeah, because you're always welcome back here. We are Casey. we're that illustrious. Uh, hey, whatever, I'll take it. Um, anyway, uh, you know, while we've got your attention, Casey, uh, what have you been driving? Right. So I have in the last month, I have been driving a Volkswagen Golf R, which you'll hear, hear me pronounce about 84 different ways because my brain for some reason letters in there. How many (laughs) I'm driving the Volkswagen Golfer. Yeah, the the golfer, the Volkswagen the go- golfer. The golfer. Uh, no, I, I keep wanting to pronounce it like the body of water between Texas and Florida. And I don't know what this is in my brain that just cannot get it right. So you'll probably hear me call it the golf R, even though it's, I guess, more like the the game where you hit the little white ball around, which I, is a golf. You, but, so, you uh, know, who has the weirdest pronunciations ever? Car salesman. I heard a car salesman <laughs> call like they'd call the what was it? The the Jetta Karat was the carrot or the other way around. I forget um, <laughs> back in the day. And then there's like the, um, my brother was looking at a Hyundai Tucson and the, the salesman insisted on calling it the Tucson. And you're like, Oh gosh. <laughs> what? Oh, no. that, that is just so wrong. Yeah. That so maybe you're wrong. becoming a car salesman. Yeah. I'm but, a hop, skip and a jump but, away. You know, really though, Casey calling it, you know, or pronouncing it golf is not entirely wrong um, because the, the name golf actually has nothing to do with the game where you spoil a good walk. It's a wind, um, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually derived from uh, the Gulf Stream. Oh, uh, I did not know that. Yeah, that's yeah. Je- like, like, like most like most of VW's names from the '70s through the the '90s, most of their naming came from various winds, like the Gulf Stream, the Scirocco. Uh, you know, I didn't the, know that was a wind. The, the Vento. Yeah. 
So uh, does, it, wait, 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 what? How does the Santana fit in? However you want. How, how does the Santana or the Passat? Is the Passat a wind? Um, I'm not sure about that one. But yeah, I, I, I do. While, while, while Casey's talking, I'll, I'll consult the, uh, the market, <laughs> the great Google. Oh, there you go. Passat, the German word for trade wind. Oh, trade okay. wind. Today I learned. Yeah. I thought it was the German word for broken. All right. Oh, <laughs> well, there begin? is that too. I mean, the Passat that we owned was by far and away the most unreliable car I've ever had for the whole nine years that we that we had it. <laughs> let me tell you about my 335 uh but anyway um yeah That's so true. i drove it, the, our, the passat did not cost cost me anywhere near as much money of use as you have spent on keeping that 335 on the road yeah well it's currently a uh, a fixture of my driveway and i just need to get rid of it i just haven't had the time but that, i digress again uh, i i have been driving the golf r and actually just today i i got a gti loaner so i've spent a few minutes with that but i had a week with the golf r and uh, if you're not familiar with who i am or what my deal is i have a <laughs> 335 uh six speed uh x drive m sport it's 2011 and i love my car but i've put about ten thousand dollars in repairs into it and bmw has put the bill for another like five grand or so so needless to say it's time for it to go and i've been wondering what to get to replace it and there's a lot of discussion around this that you can listen to on my podcast if you're so interested, and I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes. But the short, short version is I want something that's kind of fast, has four doors, has CarPlay, and has three pedals, which that last requirement really ruins everything. And so through a series of meandering ideas, including being pretty convinced I wanted a brand new JL Wrangler, I have eventually concluded I'm pretty sure that if we decide to be a two-car family, uh, which we have been for a long time, but I'm working from home now, so we may not need to be. If we decide to be a two-car family, it's probably going to be a Golf of some flavor. And I'm currently thinking the Golf R, but let me tell you, even in 40 minutes with GTI, you know, it turns out the GTI is a great car. Why didn't anyone say that in the last 20, 30 I years? I mean, I don't, I don't know. know what, those two guys that keep telling you it's better, I don't know. Not not sure what's no. up with them. I mean, it's it's one of those sleepers that nobody ever talks about. You know, it just, just kind of falls <laughs> through the cracks whenever the, this kind of conversation comes up. Well, you know, what's yeah. funny, though, is like the GTI, the GTI is one of those cars that just consistently gets mentioned. You know, like a GTI 3 Series, uh, Miata. Those are all sort of, you know, the, the, some of the greatest hits. And the reason why is because they are consistently very good at what they do generation after generation. And... Uh, you know, it's not that we're on the take or anything or we've, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got some sort of like weird cult. It's just the GTI. Anybody who's spent any time with it is is convinced. Like it's it's just a very good, well-rounded car. Hatchback that's. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's like it's like the three series was for for decades. Yeah. Uh, it came to the it got to the point where you just expected it to be excellent. And, you know, when it wasn't. You know, that's when people started to notice, you know, it, it, it just, you know, it became something different. Yeah, it occurred to me, even after the short amount of time I spent driving it today, that to my eyes and for my money, if you wanted a single car that will do almost anything and do it reasonably well, I am hard pressed to find a better option than the GTI. If yep. you just take everything into consideration, you know, price, uh, luxury, performance, size, space within it, everything. The GTI certainly has drawbacks, don't get me wrong, but 
as a almost perfect, or I, I should say it is an almost perfect, just middle of the road, does everything reasonably well. I would argue it may not do a lot extremely well, but it does everything reasonably well. That being said, it has been a long time since I've driven a front wheel drive car with any amount of power. Huh. Oh God, do I hate it. I hate it so hard. Well, you get, you have, so you have to train yourself, right? Like it, it's a different driving style. Um, it, it, it really is that slow in fast out. You've got to set up the rotation before you get back on the power, which is completely opposite of rear wheel drive. Well, not maybe not completely opposite, but you, you want to do, you know, you want to sort of trail break. You want to hit the brakes, get the rotation happening, then get back on the power versus like you can sort of fudge it with the rear wheel drive car. You're like, well, oh, and, and moreover, remember that, you know, I just said that my my 335 is an X drive. So it's, it's an all wheel drive car. Before yeah. that, I had a legacy GT all wheel drive. And both of these are reasonably quick cars that in almost any situation, I could stand on the gas and mostly things would be all right. And the Golf R was even more of that, you know, with with the brand new stability control and my, my car is stability control. So it's mostly fine as well. But, you know, with the stability control and this this Haldex system that I want to hate so badly, but it's actually really good. I could be in I could I could come into a turn with way too much steering input and way too much throttle and give it more throttle during the turn. And the yeah. R would just figure it out in a way that was just intoxicating. And the problem, if I were to argue against the R, I think the problem with that is it's it's easy to get yourself into either dangerous or illegal territory very quickly, in contrast to something like the Toyota Beru, where you can be at 10 tenths at like 30 miles an hour, you know? Yeah. So, no, and, 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 and you're absolutely right. And that's, you know, kind of the... The complaint I have about a lot of modern cars is that they're too good, uh, yeah. you know, the, and, and, you know, when I drove the, the, the R and the GTI back to back on the track earlier this year, you know, I had that same feeling that the R is really good, but, you know, it just, it kind of does everything for you, you know, whereas as somebody that actually likes to drive the, the GTI, you know, you can, you can toss it around a little more. Um, you know, and you can, depending on how you drive it, manipulate it more, whereas the R just kind of does it. You just kind of cruise through the corners, you know, and, and, you know, hit, get on the gas and, and drive out of them. And, you know, the GTI lets you, you know, it's a little bit lighter, uh, you know, it feels a little more lively, uh, you know, and it'll, it'll do stuff in response to how you, how you control it. And if you control it well, it's really rewarding to drive. Whereas the, the R to me just felt, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit quicker, but it didn't feel as, as fun. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that. And perhaps what I'm, what I'm teaching myself between these two cars is that I'm not nearly as skilled a driver as I thought I was. But, um, what I, I liked about the R is that I could be ham fisted with it and, and survive. And I don't think, I have the skill level, especially with a front wheel drive car, but probably with any car to really get the GTI to dance the way I want it to. And interestingly, in the very in, and I've only driven the GTI about half an hour, 40 minutes, and I had the R for a week. The GTI didn't feel particularly lighter to me and it didn't feel particularly more nimble to me. But again, consider that I've only driven it for about half an hour and I had two children in the car, so I wasn't exactly flogging it at the time. Oh, what's the matter with you? It's I not know, a good driver so if they don't vomit. 
<laughs> That's right. I kid you not. This is a the hand on heart. This is a true story. Uh, we had just gotten back. I know it was before I'd driven the GTI. I, I was like putting the car seats in it. And my three and a half year old said to me, you know, daddy, um, you know, sometimes mommy gets frustrated when you drive and you, know, you should just drive. You should just drive more like her because she always drives perfectly. <laughs> like, come on man you're three and a half how are you already doing this to me yeah but uh, i don't know again maybe i'm just learning that i'm a crummy driver and i just never never wanted to admit it but the, the ultimately and i don't mean to bogart this entire episode but That's as fine. it turns out who knew that that modern volkswagens if you can get past all the emission stuff, and I, and I know that's more raw for well, some of us. Well, I mean, none of, of these are diesels, so. Yeah, exactly. And, and I know that's a little raw for you, Sam. But nevertheless, I mean. No, on it's the not raw at all. I mean, I got my, I got a pretty nice check from <laughs> <laughs> You were made whole. Um, but no, on the inside, so. it, on the inside, they're so nice. And, and the Golf R felt like a forty thousand dollar car in a lot of ways because well, it is <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean that mostly complimentary that it didn't feel like it was a thirty thousand dollar car with a forty thousand dollar price tag oh i see it felt you know it felt like it was a forty thousand dollar car except in a couple ways um i i'm really grumpy and bitter that it that a sunroof is not offered in the united states it is overseas but it is not in the united states which really which really chaps my butt um but nevertheless, all in all, I thought the Gulf R felt, felt like about the price it was supposed to be. This is in contrast, however, to the GTI, which is almost entirely the exact same car, except it can have a sunroof. And it can have some of the parking aids at the Gulf R, or at least the six-speed Gulf R, which is what I had. Um, it does not have some of these parking aids. And I feel like the GTI, which I've understood, you know, the MSRP is a little over 30, some maybe as much as $35,000. but from what I can tell, you can get out the door in a brand new GTI for maybe under 30 yep. or a little over 30 if you get a really well, well loaded, you know, like an Autobahn or whatever. And I tell you what, this does not feel like a $30,000 car. It feels like a $35,000, $40,000 car. The interior is very well done. It's very logical. Switch gear all feels good. The infotainment is good. Everything about it feels really, really good. And uh, in between the Golf R and the GTI, I actually uh, took a friend's 2018 CRV for a week when they were out of town. And that car, there was a lot that I liked about it and a lot that I didn't, but I didn't feel like it felt nearly as nice on the inside. And they're roughly the same money. That CRV as it, as option, the particular one I had, was about 30 grand. And I am in a GTI Autobahn, so I, I think the MSRP is like 32, 33, something like that. And again, I feel like the, the GTI on the inside, it just feels like it should be a $35,000, $40,000 car. Yeah, well, I mean, that's always been, you know, long been one of the things about Volkswagens, um, you know, that especially the ones with a few exceptions, like the previous generation Jetta, when it, you know, the first couple of years after it launched um, and and also the, the current U.S. market Passat. But, you know, in general, Volkswagens have always felt more premium inside than many of their direct competitors, you know, and, you know, I mean, then there was always so much to like about them. You know, they were, they were great cars to, they've always been great cars to drive. I mean, the, the two that, that my wife and I owned, you know, were great to drive. Um, you know, the, the only issue I've ever had with them has been the reliability, which, you know, has been challenging. But even that, you know, Volkswagen has now addressed that, you know, with a six year bumper to bumper warranty. So, you know, the, the, the one thing that always made me hesitate in recommending a VW 
uh, a modern VW to anybody, it, you know, has been addressed by Volkswagen so that at least it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg to, to fix stuff, you know, and presumably, you know, the fact that they are confident enough to offer a warranty like that means that they have addressed a lot of those issues. Uh, at least I hope so for their, for their, <laughs> for their sake, because otherwise it's going to be very expensive uh, for them. But, uh, you know, it, so I think, you know, if you, if you really like that car, I don't see any reason not to get one. Yeah, and that's the thing is, what do I want a GTI or do I want an R? And sitting here today, 40 minutes and one, you know, one day and 40 minutes of driving into having the GTI, I'm still leaning toward the R because, again, apparently I'm a really crummy driver. And beyond that, I think I would miss some of the features that the GTI has, like the sunroof, which I really want. I would miss that sometimes. I live in Virginia where it is pretty warm for most of the year. But um, I would miss the sunroof sometimes, but I think I would miss the power and the all-wheel drive all the time not all-wheel drive on account of like snow or anything just all-wheel drive on account of as we discussed earlier um you know the, the way it handles and the way it feels but i don't know i'm i'm quickly finding myself falling in love with the gti which is really uncomfortable because a couple of dear friends of mine have had them on and off over the years and have told me no you need to at least try a gti you need to try a gti you need to try a gti and i've been resisting successfully for years and i'm gonna have to go to them hat in hand and eat crow and say you know what it turns out the gti was good again why didn't you guys tell me <laughs> well you know the, the the thing you can do you know is you can always practice your driving skills and get better at that and, That's true. you know, come, you know, over time, come to, to really appreciate what the GTI can offer you. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. But but that being said, uh, unless you guys have anything else about the Volkswagen, I'd love to hear what you've been in lately. OK, well, I've been since we last recorded in two different cars. Um, I had uh, I had this little red hybrid um, that was really sweet looking. Um, it wasn't quite as affordable as a GTI. Uh, it was the uh, the Lexus LC 500H. <laughs> that is such a pretty car. <laughs> oh, it is. I mean, it is by far the best looking car that Lexus or or Toyota, for that matter, have ever built. I mean, it's just stunning, especially in that red color that uh, the one I had is in. And that's that's actually the same color. When I last year, I had the uh, the the V8 powered LC 500, the standard one, and you know, it's the same color, and it's it's still just looks fantastic, especially when it's gleaming in the sunshine, uh, which it, it was uh, the entire time I had it. This one is the hybrid variant. So instead of the 5-liter V8 with 465 horsepower, it's got a 3.5-liter V6, uh, naturally aspirated V6 uh, running Atkinson cycle like most hybrids, um, and uh, you know some electric assist. And the, it's interesting, the, the new version of the hybrid system that they're putting on these rear-drive Lexuses now Lexi, what? No, Lexuses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, is actually more akin to the old GM uh, two-mode hybrid system that they had on the trucks and utilities back in the latter part of the previous decade. For like a hot uh, minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, um, they were in production for about six years. What? I mean, the, yeah, the the Escalade hybrid. Uh, they kept they kept selling those until I think 2013. Oh wow! I didn't realize. That. Okay. Yeah, it was it was actually around for for quite a while. It was also it, super it, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know the 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 Tahoe, Yukon, Silverado, and um, uh, and the uh, which, yeah. Anyway, the GMC and, and Chevrolet <laughs> versions. Um, those actually, you know, were discontinued earlier, but 
the uh, apparently the Escalade hybrid was actually surprisingly popular. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a huge seller, but you know, it it had a decent take rate, and so they kept building them right up until the end of that generation of Escalade. And then when they when they redesigned the Escalade in about 2014, uh, it finally got discontinued. But um, you know, so so that means you know this one's got you know two planetary gear sets, two motors, motor generators. Um, it unfortunately does not make as much power as the V8. It, you know, it's it's only 354 horsepower combined. Uh, but you know, it's still you know pl- it's got because of the electric drive uh, from the hybrid system. You know, it's got great off the line acceleration. It just you know once you get past about you know, 50 miles an hour, you know, it starts to lose a little bit of steam relative to what the V8 does, but it still drives really well. Uh, and, you know, it gets, it got shockingly good fuel economy. It, I got 27 miles per gallon with this thing over six days of driving it, which, you know, surprised the heck out of me. That's impressive for a car that size with that mission, probably driven the way you drove it. <laughs> what are you implying, Dan? I'm implying that, you know, you've got to test and, and really see what these systems are going to do and how they're going to you know, deliver on the promise that they're making. Testing and so on. Yeah. Oh my God. How can you, I got to go back though, to the look of this the profile. Beautiful. The butt. Nice. The big mouth bass front fascia. Are you kidding me with this? Why is Lexus doing this? It's so ugly. Uh, I think on the else on on a couple of cars, it, it doesn't work on on every one of their models. Like on the RX, I'm not particularly fond of it. Uh, but on the LC and the LS, uh, I think it I think it really works. It, you know, and I think part of that you know is because they're you know on on the utilities. I think is where it kind of falls apart. Where where it's up higher, where the nose is up higher. But when you see that, you know, when you walk up to it, you know, and you're kind of looking down on it, it looks so much better. Yeah, it's just I think it's a it's a better execution on the cars than it is on the utilities. But, you know, I mean, it's a matter of taste. You know, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And that's that's not a problem. I can Um, buy what you're saying about it being low versus high. I have not seen one of these in person. And I agree with you that it definitely does not work on the SUVs. But I I will tentatively accept, sir, that, that on the cars, it's not as bad. Okay. So anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, when I drove the, the, the V8 last year, you know, the way I described it, you know, is as a classic grand touring coupe, you know, it's not a sports car. I mean, it's, it's fairly hefty. You know, the V8, uh, the LC V8 is I think f- about 4,100 pounds. This one's about another 150 pounds on top of that. So it's not a lightweight, but you know, it is fast and it handles shockingly good, you know, for, for what it is. And, uh, you know, so I, I described it as a as a grand touring coupe, you know, more along the lines of, you know, some of the classic GTs uh, like, you know, Aston Martins or, you know, the, even the Ferrari Daytona of the 1970s. You know, probably actually it's probably quicker than the Daytona ever was, you know, just because it's more modern. Listen, a Camry's but, probably quicker than the Daytona ever was. That, that's true. <laughs> uh, but you know, that that said, you know. When they seeing automakers put a back seat in cars like this, you know, and put seat belts and stuff in there, it's just like, why bother? It's not usable by anybody. You can't. I mean, there. Yeah, there's a latch system in there, so 
nominally you can install a car seat. Listen, <laughs> as an auto writer, I used to relish stuffing like the Britax Marathon seats back there, which are giant. And you'd use the, the latch anchors and I'd get the whole family in the like the car that's not supposed to actually have those seats used. Um, you know, I like the RX-7, RX-8, R3. Yeah, the R3 yeah. with all the big Recaros. Yeah, we had everybody in that at one point. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a little tight. But uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't I mean, hate my kids the way you do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's probably true. <laughs> Very few people hate their children but, as efficiently know, per- as they Personally, what I would yeah. rather see, you know, <clears throat> is to see a, a manufacturer like Toyota say, okay, we're not going to do this nonsense. We're just going to put a really nicely upholstered package shelf in there. You know, maybe put the latch mechanism in there so you could put the seat in there, you know, but, you know, you don't need the the seat padding and the seat belts and everything for that anyway. So, you know, put in the the latch system so you can install the car seats. And then, you know, you might even have a little more clearance there so that the kid's not kicking you in the back of your seat. Uh, But. Well, actually, in your case, Dan, it probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't notice. Anyway. Right. Because I'm, I'm like snugged right up. Everybody's always like, why do you sit so close? I'm like, A, people don't sit close enough uh, to actually control the car. And uh, B, I have stubby little legs, so I have to sit close. <laughs> uh, but so, like, I mean, there's got to be some sort of like tax advantage or like classification reason. I think I think it's probably an insurance thing. You know, they, uh, they probably would say. have higher insurance premiums if it was a two seater versus a nominal four seater. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, you know, what would make this, you know, really great as as a grand touring car would be, you know, to be able you know, to make it more useful for a weekend getaway with your partner, you know, or, you know, a road trip. And the problem is, you know, the car only has a four cubic foot trunk. So <laughs> did you say four? Yes. Four cubic feet. Oh Very my shallow. word. You can, this... you can barely fit, you know, a carry on bag in there. Why is it so shallow? Um, I'm not entirely sure. The V8 was the same way. So, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not really the battery that's taking up all that space. But it's just a very shallow trunk. I mean, that's you know, like so, a glove compartment for cute. Yeah, I mean, feet. so I'd, I'd rather, you know, I'd, I'd rather have. I mean, you can throw bags in the back seat, right? But it would be nicer if it was just a nice upholstered package shelf, you know, instead of you know having it rolling around in the back seat. But that's that's my only real complaint about this car, um, you know. And in fact, you know, as a considering who the likely market is for this car, or you know, who many of the buyers are going to be for this car, they would probably even though it's not going to be as quick as the V8, they would probably actually prefer this one uh, because, you know, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have that growl of the V8, but it, it's, it's a little more refined. It's quieter. And most of the people that are going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on this thing are probably going to appreciate that, that more silent feeling. And, you know, when it's in EV mode, it is really quiet. Um, you know, even when you put it in sport sport mode though, and, and stand on it, you know, the, the V6 has a you know a little bit of a, a a growl, but not much. It's not it's not nearly as aggressive as the V8. They haven't piped um, fake engine sounds to the audio system yet. <laughs> no, no. Good for not, them. Not a, Good for but them. Uh, so I, I dropped that one off at the airport on Sunday before I headed to California for this trip I've been on this week. And when I got to uh, to San Francisco, I picked up uh, another hybrid. Uh, well, it. Yeah, it's a hybrid, but it's not quite like the uh, the hybrid you're going to talk about, Dan. Uh, it's the Honda Clarity fuel cell. Uh, and 
you know, let's just say the uh, the clarity design is somewhat polarizing. Uh, you know, I they've actually shown up on the roads here in Massachusetts, and they're not as weird as you'd think, though. They look okay. well. There's actually, I'm, I'm surprised. There's a lot of them around here, or or at least in in North Bay. I, I've seen a couple here in the LA area, but there's there's a lot of them in the in the uh, the Bay Area around San Francisco. Um, and in fact, a lot of them are the fuel cell version. Honda actually sells the Clarity in three different variants. There's the fuel cell version, which is only available in like the the San Francisco Bay Area right, right. and in Southern California between Los Angeles and San Diego. Because that's pretty much the only place where there's hydrogen stations to fill them, uh, and then there's also a battery electric version, which has an unfortunately short uh, range of only about 85 miles, and then there's also the plug-in hybrid, which is actually the probably the best variant of this, because it has about a 45-mile uh, electric driving range, you know, and then it uh, and then it's a, basically a hybrid after that. But even the fuel cell is actually a hybrid because all, all fuel cell cars uh, actually have a hybrid or have a battery for collecting um, energy from regenerative braking. So you get a little more efficiency out of it, you know, rather than if you were just using, you know, powering everything off the fuel cell. And then the battery also comes in and does some some peak shaving, you know, so that the fuel cell stack doesn't have to work as hard to generate electricity. And that's the thing about fuel cell cars. They actually are electric. They're electric cars without a plug, you know, and instead, you know, they, they use the fuel cell to, um, you know, you put in uh, hydrogen in the tank and it mixes it with oxygen and uh, converts that into water and electricity. It's so the only, what is it? Reverse hydrolysis across a membrane, right? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's our electrolysis. Electrolysis. Not hydrolysis. Yeah. Not hydrolysis. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that's freaking space technology. Uh, it literally is <laughs> no, it because is. it was developed for the space program in the 1960s, and the uh, the, the very first fuel cell car, uh, hydrogen fuel cell car, was built by General Motors in 1966 or 67. The uh, the van, it was a, a Corvair van, and they used uh, hydrogen or they used fuel cell technology from the Apollo program, developed for the Apollo program, and put it in this in this van, and they tested it a little bit. Uh, they didn't continue to develop it because it wasn't really practical at that time, but uh, they've continued working on fuel cell technology ever since. And, you know, so this is this is one of two fuel cell vehicles currently available in California. The other one is the Toyota Mirai. Um, this one, dr the Honda drives a lot better than the Mirai. You know, it drives more like a modern Honda. You know, it's got, got good handling, uh, good ride quality. It's really quiet. And, um, Looks better yeah. than the mirror than the Mirai as well. Uh, yeah, I, yeah it's, de it's definitely better looking than the Mirai, and and it's it's more practical as well. It's got more interior room. The Mirai is strictly a four seater. Uh, this one, you know, has got decent room that basically splits the difference between uh, the Civic sedan and the Accord in terms of interior volume. the The trunk is a little on the small side. It's only about eleven and a half cubic feet, uh, eh. but the the interior the interior is good size. So, uh, in in terms and, of, know, I got oh, go I got. 300 miles of range out of the thing before I had to stop and put some hydrogen in it. Well, that's, that's not bad. And so like, that brings me to the, the point, like where hydrogen infrastructure exists, this f seems to be eminently practical, you know, and, and just, yeah, you know, absolutely. sort of like a, a very normal experience, although it is an electric car and you're, you're sort of dragging the generation station along with you. Um, <laughs> 
it, which I guess is kind of the same thing as but on, you know, but on the hydrogen. other hand, you know, when you know when you fill, it takes about five minutes to fill the tank with hydrogen, right? As opposed to sitting around for a couple of hours or you know even even an hour, you know, at a supercharger station, right? Uh, you know, you're five minutes and you're back on your way again. And the well, I mean, and the fuel cells are, are lighter the, than uh, you know a battery pack. Yeah, um, no, they are, and and they're and they're going to get they're going to get even lighter. Um, you know, Hyundai is uh, at the at CES this year. Hyundai introduced their new fuel cell crossover called the Nexo, uh, which just went on sale. It went on sale a couple months ago in Korea, and it'll be coming to the U.S. Uh, early in 2019. And then um, Honda and General Motors have a joint venture to produce fuel cell stacks uh, in Michigan starting in 2020, uh, and that's the next generation design that the two companies have been working on together. And those will go into new vehicles starting in 2020. So it's close to being sort of wider production ready. Uh, do you think it's ever going to actually be a thing, though? Because it's like a cart before the horse kind of thing. We don't have the infrastructure. It would take commitment to build that out. Commitment and investment. Um, and that really seems like the the one stumbling block is, is installing uh, hydrogen refueling stations. Yeah, well, both Toyota and Honda uh, invested uh, in a company called True Zero, uh, which was started by Joel Awanek, the former CMO yes. of General Motors, and he was the top sales guy at Hyundai before that. And uh, many of the hydrogen uh, public hydrogen stations in California are operated by True Zero. And in fact, you know, while one time while I was filling the car with hydrogen. Uh, you know, another Mirai pulled up and, you know, behind me and was was waiting, you know, fortunately, you know, it only takes a few minutes to fill up. So it wasn't wasn't much of a wait. But uh, there's about three dozen hydrogen stations open in California right now, and they're opening more all the time. Uh, I talked to Steve Center, uh, who's head of environmental affairs at Honda a couple of weeks ago. And you know, he said they're they're continuing to open more hydrogen stations. But where I where I see this actually really becoming um, a more useful alternative, uh, at least in the near term, is when we start to get um, automated aut autonomous vehicles, you know, and have autonomous mobility services, because those vehicles, in order to be economically viable, you know, they're going to want to be running those, you know constantly 24 hours a day they want to minimize downtime and you know have them constantly generating revenue which means that they don't you know you don't want them necessarily uh, you know sitting around for extended periods of time uh, plugged into a charger and so one potential solution for those is to do uh, make those fuel cell vehicles because you know if you're talking about a fleet that's operating in a geofenced area it doesn't you don't need you know for a fleet you don't need very many stations unlike for consumer purposes, consumers want want easy availability, you know, wherever they are. Uh, whereas, you know, a fleet can more easily get by with, you know, a place like San Francisco, maybe three, four, maybe five stations to cover a place like San Francisco. They come in, they get refueled, and they're back on the road in five minutes, as opposed to, you know, at least an hour for even for a DC fast charge. And so there there may be that may be a viable solution for vehicles like that and then you know the other thing is is long haul trucking you get nikola motors developing their fuel cell uh tractor trailer system uh along with bosch and they're developing a network of hydrogen stations 
you know, crisscrossing the country along the major corridors across the country. And again, you know, unlike uh, Tesla's plans with the semi and using the the mega charger, uh. you know, these things will the the hydrogen trucks will be able to be refueled more quickly. But what they're going to be doing is, you know, most of the hydrogen stations today you get tankers that come in and, and refill them, you know, much as they do with gasoline. Uh, but that's not necessarily going to be practical, you know, going out into the middle of the country, you know, in places like Omaha, you know, Nebraska and, and Wyoming uh, when trucks are crossing the country. So what they're going to be doing is putting in hydrogen stations where they produce the hydrogen locally uh, by electrolysis, you know, and they'll be using solar and wind primarily uh, as the power source to um, to produce the hydrogen Man. on site and store it on site. That seems isn't electrolysis like the least efficient way to get hydrogen? Can't you get hydrogen from natural gas? Yeah, you can. Um, you know, and that's the way most of the hydrogen today is produced. But on the other hand, uh, you know, you can you can do it. It's it's not necessarily that electrolysis is. I mean, it's it's less efficient than uh, steam reformation of gas. But on the other hand, you can do it on site. You know, whereas you're not going to do steam reformation of natural gas on site at, at these locations. <laughs> at multiple sites, yeah. You know what? Just yeah. gee, build a hydrogen pipeline, right? Like, it's what could possibly go wrong. And just put the stations <laughs> along the pipeline. I mean, you, you can do that. And, it's you know, a gas. As if it leaks, yeah. it'll just, and, and, you know. There, there, are, there, are, there are hydrogen pipelines in California. You know, and some of the stations are located near, you know, near the pipelines and tap directly into the pipeline. Yeah, and I, I mean, I say it to be flipped, but like, honestly, it's not. It's not not terrible. I'd rather have a hydrogen pipeline than an oil pipeline, quite honestly. But yeah, um, well, the 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 one the one issue with a hydrogen pipeline over long distances, because hydrogen is you know the hot hydrogen molecules are so small, uh, the, um, the leakage. It's harder to to have it not seep through the the material of the pipe oh, itself. Yeah. yeah, that's why local production is is actually more practical. Huh. Well, I mean, that's fascinating. I would love to, to have uh, a hydrogen fuel cell as a, another viable propulsion option, because it, it does seem like the technology is pretty rapidly maturing and uh, fueling is, is kind of what's holding it back at this point. And if if you're going to use it in large trucks, I think that also makes a lot more sense than um, battery electric just out of the sheer weight and bulk and recharge times um, of that that's that energy unit right and I, it, yeah i mean you know a a, a a battery electric long-haul truck you know something with a 500 mile range you know you're talking a, a one megawatt hour battery probably at least yeah that's a, and that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna weigh at least ten thousand pounds yeah uh, we need to put less weight on the roads not more like it, you've seen our infrastructure crumble and part of like a big reason of that is uh, what was it the early 80s when when um, the Reagan administration uh, lifted a cap on truck uh, weight, uh, semi-truck weight. Uh, so they well, went above 60,000 pounds. Well, actually, in all but three states, the weight limit is now is still 40,000 pounds. Is it? OK, so yeah, there are, there are, are sorry, 80,000 pounds, 40 tons. Mm. Um, and uh, Michigan and two other states allow 80 ton trucks. Which is part of a big part of why our roads are in such yeah, bad shape. Because beat the hell out of the roads, truck. like it's yeah. just, and it's it's an exponential sort of damage thing. It's yeah, not, uh, but most 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 uh, most long haul trucks are are eighty thousand pounds, and you know. But the thing is, 
you know, if you put 10,000 pounds in the battery, that's, you know, 10,000 pounds that you're taking away from the payload that the truck can carry. So that yeah. means less revenue. No, but it also means more trucks. Because if, if you're moving 80,000 yeah. pounds, well, all of a sudden you need an extra truck every eight trucks, right? Like to carry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're, 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 I mean, the, the net difference is probably going to be somewhat, you know, compared to a diesel truck is going to be somewhere in the, you know, around probably 7,500 to 8,000 pounds uh, extra because, you know, you got to take into account that you're replacing, um, you know, the diesel engine and the gas or the, the diesel tanks. Uh, but still, it's it's going to be it's going to be significantly heavier, uh, which you know, so is going to take away from the payload, and it's going to mean more trucks on the road. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the accidents are going to be spectacular, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, it's speak- right, what about you? Dan? I was going to say, speaking of heavy trucks, that's a really good segue <laughs> um, because the uh, the last week, I think I, I mentioned it just briefly, but I was driving the Ford Expedition Platinum Max. I think that's the right order for the words. Uh, I think it's Max Platinum. Max Platinum. Either, either way, uh, the Ford Expedition Max, which is the long wheelbase, I think it's 131 inches or something. It, it, it makes uh, Casey's wife's uh, Volvo look small. Yeah, it sure <laughs> does. Um, the Volvo would fit in between the wheelbase, I think. Um, oh my! It's it's very it's a big vehicle, um, and the platinum is the the top trim level. Uh, so you know, while it's not for everyone, it's definitely perfect for the people that it's for. Um, and you know, the Expedition, it's a traditional SUV, and those traditional values are undeniably attractive. Um, you know, as I was driving this thing, I, you know, I felt like. You know, I could drag an RV anywhere I wanted to go. And, uh, you know, I, I pretty much could have, uh, depending on the, the towing package, you can drag around about 9,000 pounds with this. I think standard towing is like 6,500 or so. Um, and so there's that's a pretty good range. You know, 9,000 pounds, that's a lot of weight, <laughs> um, plus all of the payload, you know, in, inside. Um, so, and it's it's huge inside. Um, my kids uh, had tons of space in the second row there were captain's chairs with a nice hallway in between <laughs> and then the, the third row was very comfortable i sat back there um and uh you know the dog had his own spot it folds 60 40 so it folded up one side and he had his own spot where i could strap him in with this little clicket harness and uh i was able to leave the the dog crate in its like sort of fully assembled upright position so when we got where we were going i could just stick him in there and uh, he wouldn't trash the interior if somebody, you mean uh, you didn't strap him to the roof? No, no. Um, we didn't go to Vermont, uh, like Mitt, we went to, uh, <laughs> to Maine actually. Um, you know, and that, like, that's a thing that there's the sheer amount of normal life stuff. Uh, the thing supports like the, the expedition is, it's kind of like always the right vehicle. Uh, I mean, I used it to um, to take my 10 year old to the the Patriots preseason opener, and it was fantastic for that. You know, like navigating football stadium. Well, is it just traffic. you and the 10 year old? It was. Yes. Um, but it's just <laughs> so, it's, that's, so yeah. this 131 inch wheelbase SUV is the perfect vehicle to take you and a 10 year old. Yeah, because it's intimidating to the other drivers and you've got that crush of traffic. And uh, let me explain Gillette Stadium, okay? They built a football stadium, an NFL stadium, 
with no direct exits off the major routes. So you have two ways to get there. You can go up Route 1. Uh, it's a friggin' nightmare because there's lots all the way along and like the traffic just gets heavier the closer you get to the stupid stadium. Or you can pay for VIP parking and get off on 95 and, you know, go go park in the VIP lot, which, you know, you've got to wind through the back uh, neighborhoods of, of uh, Foxborough. Um, so either way, they've got this NFL stadium sort of there must be some kind of like political or town deal or whatever that just meant that they don't get an exit because it's so close to Route 95. I don't know why they didn't get an an exit off the highway for it, but whatever. So this is a good vehicle for like navigating that crush of of other vehicles. And it was comfortable. So even if you're stuck in traffic, you kick on the dynamic cruise control, let it follow the other cars, uh, you know, just crank up the the music. And it was it was super comfortable for that. And if you actually do take a bunch of people to a game and tailgate and stuff like that, it's, you know, it's brilliant. That's where that's where it really comes into its own is yeah. for stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because because you, you know, I mean, especially if you have the uh, the three the three the not the captain's chairs but the uh, the bench in bench, the middle yeah. in the second row, you know, you can comfortably carry eight people in that, including the driver. Very comfortably. Yeah, and that was that was really um, you know the expedition hasn't really changed in terms of its recipe over however long it's been built but it's just it's become more and more refined and uh it's it's very good in this latest generation um you know and the other stuff we did with it like you know i used it for just you know general use and then you know we just took an impromptu trip because we could you know it's like let's just stick everybody in the thing and we'll just we headed up to to southern maine to um old orchard beach and then we went down to wells and and uh, gunk which is like along route one there's all these little vacation spots um and it wound up getting late and so we were like you know what we should just find a place to put in for the night uh that's that's pretty hard to do in like vacation land which is what they have on their plates <laughs> their license plates <laughs> so like maine is vacation land so uh it's the height of the season it took us a couple hours to find uh some place where where we could actually uh stay and so the kids were like well we could just boondock in the expedition and and it, which i was about to yeah. ask um they they were kind of down with it. They're like, we're going to have to park somewhere. I was like, I don't really want to do that. Um, I mean, we could absolutely It would have been very comfortable for that. Um, but it's just like those are the traits, I think, that have always made the traditional SUV so attractive. It's it's really it's just ready for nearly anything. Um, and except yeah. for parking in a Whole Foods parking lot. Well, you know, I mean, it has all the cameras and then the, like the self parking system <laughs> and stuff like it'll it'll do its best to help you out <laughs> it, it was not as easy to park as the subaru ascent for sure um but it's also bigger so um you know as ginormous suvs go it was it was pretty easy to drive and it's quiet uh the EcoBoost engine is is just, i mean that's such a good engine for every truck application because it's so punchy and so powerful you're not ever waiting for for the power curve it's just it's right there at all times um very well matched with the the 10 speed auto although uh, there were some times where i was like all right you're you're just shifting because you can <laughs> like stop it that's uh, me with the golf R. yeah exactly it's just like <laughs> i have 10 speeds check it out and you just like knock it off um and, you know the the mat uh the platinum has the ccd uh suspension so it's it's a continuously controlled damping or whatever you know i think mm-hmm. it's it's 
I don't I don't think it's MR, but I think it it, it electronically. No, it's not. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a variable valving. Yeah. Uh, in the dampers. Uh, it works. It's, it's still it's still really good. Oh yeah, it works really well. It rides like butter, and it, but it's not loose or floppy. And that was what really impressed me was you can hustle this thing down a twisty road if you 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 have to keep in mind physics, but you can drive the expedition max a lot more sporty than you'd think you can and it handles very well given its size uh it doesn't roll too much it it you know sort of rolls a bit and takes a set and then it's it's very solid very stable when you're doing things you should not be doing with it um <laughs> and it's got plenty of power to get you in you know from apex to apex uh yeah i i liked i liked that aspect of it um <laughs> You know, there were some gimmicks, uh, but you don't have to get them. Uh, I didn't like the power folding uh, running boards. I mean, they're handy, but it just I look at that every time you open the door, it's like eh, eh, when you close it and it's just like that's going to break um, and it's going to be expensive to fix or it's going to trap crap up there against the rocker panel and cause rust um, out here where it snows. Uh, you know, I, I also I liked that. Uh, even in platinum trim while it's plush it, it you know it's it's almost actually actually dan it's not going to rust because that body is aluminum it'll corrode pardon me <laughs> well <laughs> yeah but it's, it's not going to rust all the way through i mean you, you at most you're going to get you know some surface oxidation so if the if the paint gets scraped you'll get surface oxidation on the aluminum and then it stops you think it'll so never, yeah i don't know man i've seen some aluminum that just just turn us to dust. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I, I, I don't think this stuff will because it's 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 pretty thick aluminum. Is it? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, all right. well, so maybe maybe that's okay. You know, like it is handy to have the running boards, and it's nice that it tucks them out of the way. It it probably really does help quite a bit with fuel economy because that's a big source of drag down there. Right. Um, and and it you know it it makes it a lot easier to get in and out of it, that thing. It sure does. Yeah. Um, it's and, you know in it it's it's really nice in the platinum trim it's it's almost like how i would want the lincoln to be i had the navigator not too long ago and you know that was very it was it presented very well the materials were better in the lincoln and it was pretty but i found the the expedition actually which was not quite as as over the top more comfortable by a long yeah. shot its controls were better its seats were better because it didn't have the zillion way adjustable things like the first thing i did was i took the headrest out and turned it around and put it back in so it wasn't pushing my head down <laughs> you know <laughs> um it's it, like it, this is it's just an you know it's it's a nice comfortable vehicle equipped this way and if you don't need the leather and the heated and cooled seats and stuff you can save yourself some money because it, it does get pricey um but you know they've they've really thought of who uses these vehicles and they're you know because these full size trucks are their bread and butter, they pay good attention to the users and it was really equipped well. It has a lot of the you know the good driver assist technology works really well, which is helpful because it's the size of a cabin cruiser. So it it really <laughs> is it's quite handy. Um, you know uh, the economy is yeah don't don't expect much. Uh, it, the, it it's was, better. Let's put it this way: it's better than it was in an expedition of ten years ago. Yeah, well, in the expedition of ten years ago, it just like it, it had that that modular V eight that was just thirsty and wimpy. Um, this is at least not super thirsty. Uh, I got I think about sixteen overall, and and it went up to about nineteen 
um, for the sort of the highway only portions of the trip. So that like that's not terrible when you consider the size of the vehicle. It's it's big and it's heavy and it has a lot of capability and it'd probably be sixteen full or empty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you tow something is probably going to go down uh, significantly, but you're going to have the power uh, yeah, to tow. Actually, well, un- under heavy load, it's it's going to go down quite a bit. That's that's been one of the knocks on the EcoBoost engines, and that's one of the reasons why they brought the diesel to the F one fifty. And I'd say it's a safe bet that by sometime in 2019, there will be an expedition and a navigator available with that three liter diesel engine as well. Oh, I mean, for, that, that's yeah. For customers that want to tow the the diesel fuel economy holds up much better than the, the EcoBoost does. Yeah. I mean, that's if you're towing a lot with it, that makes a, a ton of sense. If you're towing, you know, once or twice a year, th- this is fine. It's got I mean, the, yeah. the Platinum has a lot of power. It's got more power than the the other trim levels, just a little bit low, like a scooch more. Um, I think it's like 480 horsepower and uh, or 480 no, pound-feet of torque or something like that. Yeah, It's, 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 four, it's 400. 400 horsepower, expedition. right, and yeah. 480 pound-feet of torque. The torque is, is impressive. Something like, it's got a lot of torque, a lot, quite a bit. How's the, um, how's the modern sync systems? I haven't used one in years, and I did not particularly care for it at the time, but it, it's been a long time, some time since I've used one of them. Yeah, Sync 3 is what this has, and it's it's better. Um, you know, what I liked about it was, again, comparing it to the Lincoln, um, it's not making you go into the screen as much because they have physical controls for a lot of things. So you're good for the stuff that you're mostly you're, you're most going to um, adjust. Um, but when you do have to go into the screen, it, it's a little bit of a click fest. It still needs to be stripped down and flattened out. There's like, you know, you still have to jump to the home button to get between functions for, for some things that should have their own buttons and stuff. And it, it's customizable a bit. So uh, some of that you can mitigate a little bit where you can move some of the icons around and put the stuff that you want, uh, you know, at, at your fingertips. But, you know, I wasn't able to master it like right off the bat. So it's not, it, it is way better than the old, my Ford touch. System oh yes. Was. Yeah. It's miles yeah, it's, better. It's, it's much, you know, the, the interface is a lot better. Uh, it's much more responsive, um, and it's also set up for over-the-air updates, over-the-air software updates. Yeah, and which, oh, uh, nice. they, they do on a fairly regular basis. It does, yeah. All of that, like, responsiveness, I had no complaints. Um, and just the actual, like, getting around the system, it's not bad. And I think... it's, it's Yeah, I mean, it's, it's mostly when you want to go into things like, you know, adjusting the massaging seats, you know, or, you know, some of the more esoteric stuff. That's when you're... You start to dive around in those menus. Yeah, the most 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 of the the stuff you use most frequently, like the climate control, is right there. Yeah, you know, you got yeah. physical buttons. You know, the tuning tuning and and volume knobs are there. So most of the time, you don't have to do too much. Yeah, the the thing that I did I didn't like is especially if you're using nav. Um, you need to press the buttons. To, you need to press two buttons to get the the zoom of the the screen. You know, so you've got to press controls. If it's been sitting there for a while, you have to press controls to bring up the controls. And you've got a plus and a minus to zoom the map view, which like that's a lot of paying attention to the screen when you're, you know, possibly somewhere unfamiliar and you've got to be poking at this and you, you, you're trying to hit touch targets and stuff. So that, that seems crappy. That's why you should use Android Auto. It, does that just pinch at that point? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's some of that. Uh, CarPlay... 
and I haven't really, I haven't used the Android Auto, but CarPlay, what I don't like about it is that it, it really is, it's like a phone projection. So there are sometimes things that you want, you know, like w- the last time we used CarPlay, was my wife was on her phone and she was a passenger and we had it hooked up to the system via CarPlay. Oh, don't even get me started and on this. So issue. like I'm trying to look at Nav and she's on the phone and we're trying to listen to music and it's just like it's messing with with everything. So we just, I, at a certain point I was like, you know what? Forget it. We're just going to listen via Bluetooth and we're not going to use CarPlay. And like mm-hmm. it's it's hard to sort of find that that sort of sweet spot because people do actually share devices in the vehicle, but it's very driver centric. And I don't, that's something they're going to have to figure out. And I have faith that they'll, they'll get there eventually. But, um, you know, the the sync system, like I, I didn't have any complaint about that. The, uh, um, the voice recognition needs to be better. Uh, it's, it's not, it's, it's natural language recognition is okay. Uh, or at least it has, it's been programmed with phrases where it, it works decently, but, uh, some of the quirks were like when I'm in a location and I use try to like say like find a destination like so we're in Massachusetts and I'm looking for a destination in Maine I've got to go through a lot more like menu steps by voice command to tell it like find a different state you know kind of stuff which was and and that's a a, that's a common problem on most um, built-in infotainment systems it's not it's not just sync I mean most most systems have that issue yeah. And, and it, but it is like if you can figure out the the sort of the voice tree of commands, and it, it'll walk you through it for the most part. It, it's not bad to use use the voice commands to set destinations and find things like that. That's getting better. Um, but, you know, so like I'm I'm a full size SUV believer. You know, my my faith is is it's a little shaken by the price tag because this one uh, the in platinum max or max platinum or whatever it's it's uh seventy five thousand dollars um or more depending on how you option it but it starts at 75 whereas the uh, i think the the max starts at 51 um like the base model so th- that's a pretty healthy spread <laughs> decide what you want uh the the platinum is is nice very nice i definitely pick it over the navigator uh just because i found it more pleasing and comfortable and like more more normal and less gimmicky um but that's still that's a lot of dough and it's i mean it's a lot of vehicle for the money uh even so it's it's very refined and it's it's possibly i think of the full-size suvs where there's really only a couple like because you've got the toyota sequoia that doesn't really count anymore because it's never been updated um <laughs> but, but you've got the, you know the, the g i mean the 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 real competitors are the gm trucks the yeah. gm utilities the, i, I the, think the tahoe suburban you know the, the suburban and, and the yukon xl you know are the competitors for the expedition max you know and then the tahoe and the um Yukon, the base Yukon are, you know, for the regular, the standard yeah. length. And I haven't, I haven't driven those. I mean, they've been out for a while, but they just haven't made their way yeah, I mean, they're, up here. They're, they're going to be, there's going to be all new ones coming next year. You know, yeah. cause you got the trucks, the new pickup trucks are rolling out now. We'll probably see the new utilities in January at the uh, Detroit Auto Show. Yeah. Um, you know, I th- LED headlights are fantastic. The rotary shift dial is not packaged well. I'm just going through my notes here. Um, you know, like it needs more haptic feedback so you can operate it without as much attention and know what gear you're in. Um, 
and uh, the adaptive cruise is, is very good. That's what I wrote in my notes. Um, and then from that, Take notes. I do. I do. Uh, from that, I've spent the last few days in the Honda Insight Touring. Um, it's, this is my my favorite hybrid car ever. Uh, it's just it's really really well done. Uh, it's hard not to like the Touring trim because it's it's dressed up nicely. The materials are good. It reminds me of old school Honda, you know, where everything is just it's it's carefully considered the materials look nice they feel nice they're put together well um it's kind of a a conservative design i think um and and really like it's based on the civic but it's the size of the accord from not too long ago i actually mistook it for an accord when it first arrived um it's not small it's got an enormous trunk it's got like a 15 Mm -hmm. cubic foot trunk it's very roomy inside uh you know they they moved the seating position low which is okay um but it's i think they 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 actually did they they did the sort of like the the lower wider i don't know how much of the longer they did but that old trope you know lower longer wider um man this is just a good car i'm convinced that they're not making any money on these at at twenty eight thousand. like it's just um not necessarily because you know the, the thing is if you actually start going and if you start to look at the the feature sheet compared to the civic uh, because this it is it is this is essentially a civic hybrid um you know the the rear fenders and the roof are common to right. the civic all the other sheet metal is unique for the inside all the exterior sheet metal right yeah the, the exterior the, sheet metal there's and then, a new and then nose too yeah but you know if you look at the the corresponding trim levels you know so like ex versus ex lx versus lx and the touring versus touring um the insight trim levels actually have a little, a little less equip. Each one has a little bit less equipment than what's in the the corresponding Civic, so that's offsetting the um, you know the cost of the hybrid system. But you know, and then the other thing is the hybrid system is the same system that's in the new Accord Hybrid, and also what's in the um, the um, Clarity Plug-in Hybrid. So you have the same drive unit, the same you know hybrid drive unit that's in all three of those. So they're, you know, by getting volumes up, they're getting the cost down on all of those. I, that That's impressive because it like all the car stuff is is perfect. Uh, you know, it, it drives about as well as it's going to um, for being a, a hybrid like this. And it's very efficient. I'm getting like 47 miles per gallon with it. And I'm, I'm not driving uh, economically. I'm just driving normally. <laughs> Um, I, I will say that uh, this hybrid system, while it's, it's good, most of the time when you need sort of max power, it, it feels a little rubber bandy and um, it feels a little anemic when you really get on it. But other than that, I, it's fine. And it will. It, I mean, it'll definitely crank the speedometer right around without a problem. It's just when you want that sort of like maximum acceleration it does the old style sort of CVT thing where the engine just revs up and drones a little bit and you, you get forward progress, but it still feels weird. Um, but they've, you know, they've done about as much as they can do to just refine it. I know it's got extra sound deadening from the, the, the civic. They, they tried to make it quiet. I think it's actually quietest in class. Um, it's, it's got active noise control. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really just, it's a good, good place to be and i was just so impressed because i was like i just really like this as a car i don't care what it's moved by you know i don't care what powers it it's just it's it's a good car and again you know like it's got all a a bunch of features that you know for the money seem 
seem, you know, uh, to actually push the level of sort of uh, value. Um, stuff I wouldn't expect on a $28,000 car. Uh, you know, like the the touring trim level with its leather and LED headlights and the, the new infotainment system is probably the best one that they've done so far. It actually has a knob, um, but it's only got one knob. They need two knobs. They need a tuning knob. Uh, need... I thought it had two. No. I had a tuning knob, too. No, not. It's got. Okay. Uh, oh, so it's got it's rockers. got the system from the CRV. Yeah. Uh, not the one that's in the Accord. Yeah. This does not look like the one in the CRV that I drove. And I, the one in the, the CRV that I drove, I remember being deep, it just blew everywhere and looked like it was designed easily five to 10 years ago. And now it supported like CarPlay. So it was clearly a modern unit, yeah. but aesthetically, oh God, it was, it was bad. Now I'm one of those annoying Apple users. That's all about design and all that uh, grumbly stuff that makes everyone crazy. But it was just <laughs> hideous to look at. It, it was awful. That's the software, like physically the, the, the screen was fine. The, the buttons around it were fine, but the, the software, the, the stock Honda software was terrible. Yeah. And just looking at a picture here, it does not look quite so bad. Yeah, no, what they, I'm seeing here. Yeah, no the 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 Insight has uh, has newer software that's the same as what's in the uh, in the Accord and the Odyssey now. So it's it's an updated okay. interface. Okay. Um, but I'm just looking at the um, so what uh, the hardware part of it. What I have found is um, when you're designing user interface and and, and UX stuff, um, often you need to sacrifice pretty for works and a lot of the stuff that works the best is ugly, <laughs> you know, cause like think about the, the car environment, right? And that's what this Honda system has, has large, uh, touch targets. Um, when you, you hit the home button or, or whatever to get all of the different functions, they're big. It's not like the Ford system that we were talking about where the icons are much smaller. The icons are big here. Well, that's, that's good. That's what you want because when you're driving down the road, you, you're going to use your index finger to, to reach out and you know, you're gonna, it's going to wobble around. So you want to be able to hit those things. Um, so I, I like that. I, I, I like the responsiveness of the system and how it seems so far pretty intuitive to use. And Honda systems have not been great. Uh, historically, you know, the cars themselves are good, but their their infotainment has lagged, especially when they were doing the two screen nonsense that they're. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so those, those those were bad. This is a very positive step forward. Um, you know, they, they continue to make improvements and, and they're, they're all sort of figuring out what's necessary and, and what's not. Um, and I, I, I like how they're not just throwing up their hands and going like, ah, use the Android Auto or use CarPlay. We're, we're done, guys. Like, all we're going to put yeah, is no, a radio. They, they, do continue, they do continue to improve it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, the, the funny thing is um, all, all of Honda's infotainment systems for the last several years, uh, going back to the, the Civic, um, they're actually running on Android. Yeah. If, if, you, <laughs> if you dig down into, if you go into the settings and go into system settings, you'll see that they're actually running AOSP Android. Um, and the, the Civic, like the, the one we have, is running on uh, Android 4.2. 4.2 um, is that Jelly Bean? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh no, actually it's four. Sorry, it's 4.4, which is uh, ice cream um, sandwich or ice cream sandwich. Yeah. yeah. The the newer these newer ones are running uh, Android 6.0. I don't and know what that one is. All I know is Pi uh, is coming. <laughs> yeah, well, Pi's here. I've, I've got Pi on my phone now. 
Um, oh, nice. But uh, I think that was uh, what L. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's it's an it's an updated one. But the funny thing is, if you if you go in there, you can actually and you dig around, you can actually find the Android AOSP web browser in there. And <laughs> it, you know, there there's a you know the the car has uh, these systems all have Wi-Fi in there, so that when you're when your car is in the garage, you know if you set it up on your home Wi-Fi, it'll do uh, OTA updates over the Wi-Fi. And so you know when you're sitting in the garage, you can actually tap in there, open up the browser and open stuff in the old, you know, ancient Android AOSP browser. That's pretty funny. That's great. And yeah. Looking at this, this is definitely far and away much, much, much prettier than the CRV I had. This is much less offensive. And and I would even go so far as to say it looks pretty good. Yeah, I was I was I'm impressed with it. It still has some some things that I would like to change. Uh, it feels like it doesn't have enough physical controls or the physical controls it has aren't quite right. Like, so if you've got volume on a knob, why is tuning on a rocker? Like, stop it. <laughs> like, um, but it's 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 getting better. Uh, and it's it's hasn't given me fits. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've we've consumed a good bit of the podcast on cars, but we had a lot to get through. Uh, and I think we I hopefully we offered a bunch of uh, actual insights no pun intended um <laughs> so yeah let's let's move on to some topical material um and and sam we have a, a few things we wanted to talk about yeah we, we don't need to get to all of these we can we can hit a couple of these uh, one thing um yes uh what two days ago when i was in uh, silicon valley visiting a company that will shall remain unnamed i actually spot saw, saw a saw a jaguar i-pace in the wild for the first time oh what'd you think and it looks really good but more more interestingly uh my two colleagues that were with me were really impressed with it they they thought it was fantastic uh i mean i've i've, I've liked the, the i-pace ever since i saw the original concept at la a couple of years ago and it it looks really good on the road um and I think that it's I think it's going to do well for for Jaguar. Um, what are the initial reviews like? Because I'm fam I'm the, loosely familiar with it, but the, I haven't really read up. The on British it. ones were fawning. <laughs> yeah, well, well, but that's to that's, be expected, yeah. right? Yeah, no, even even the American reviews are extremely positive. I, you know, pretty much all the reviews I've seen have been very positive of it. Uh, my friend Richard Truitt at Automotive News went to Portugal for the media drive and he uh, you know, he was just raving about the thing. And, you know, when they did the media drive there, you know, they what they did was they they had um, an on road drive route. They did. They spent half a day at a track. You know, so you get to drive, you know, lap it at the track. And they also had an off road section, like you know, a real Jeep style <laughs> off road, you know, Jeep Land Rover style off road section. And, you know, they said it did great on everything. Uh, you know, it's not. It's not quite as, you know, it's not as fast as, um, as a Model X, you know, on a drag race, you know, because the current, the, the initial version is, is, is a mere 400 horsepower. Uh, who cares? Uh, I'm so sick of the electric car drag race thing. That's just like, I know. you know, uh, I mean, it'll, it'll go zero to 60 in four seconds. I mean, you know, how much faster do you need it to be? That's fast. Yeah, <laughs> this, I'm looking at the site now. It's four and a half seconds. I, I remember vividly when I was a kid looking at supercars like the Diablo, which was roundabout stuff like Diablo, yeah. flat, I think. I mean, yeah, this is ridiculous. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's plenty fast enough, but there will be faster versions coming down the road. I mean, there'll be, you know, an SVR version and things like that. 
Uh, but you know, it, it just, it looks really good. You know, it doesn't have that kind of bulbous blown up look of the model X. Um, you know, it's not, it's not as, as large as the model X either. Uh, but you know, I, I think that, uh, I think people are, we're going to really like it and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing and getting a chance to drive one hopefully pretty soon. And then also the, um, uh, you know, coming next month, uh, in San Francisco, I'll be in San Francisco on September 17th for the, the global reveal of the, the Audi e-tron Quattro, which will also be arriving before the end of the year. And that's their, um, all wheel drive electric crossover. Which uh, you know, between the two of those, you know, there's there's going to be some serious challengers for uh, for Tesla, um, you know, in the next few months. Well, so that's uh, something that I think they may not have counted on is when they first started off with the you know certainly with the Roadster, but then the Model S. You know, they they kind of had the market to themselves, and then the Model S pushed. Uh, pushed everybody to realize that the, you know, no, this is the thing. Like people will pay premium money for these cars, and they they will burnish your reputation. And and while um, you know, Audi and Porsche and and um, you know, other automakers may not have quite the EV green, we're saving the world cachet as a as a Tesla. They know how to make cars, and they know how to get them to market. And if you're you're waiting on your Tesla now because you know the lines are capacity constrained and you can't get your car, uh, you can you can walk over to the Audi dealer or the Jaguar dealer, and you can you can get a car. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> and and also you know if you actually need service on it, you know um, you probably won't have to wait three months for parts. Yeah. Yeah, so like the and the, not to just like pick on Tesla, like those things are difficult even for large manufacturers to do on a on a you know consistent basis, and that's why there's often complaints um, from folks about you know getting their car serviced. Like that's just it's a normal part of the business, but it seems like the old line, I guess, automakers have it figured out a lot better <laughs> yeah that you know they understand you know the importance of a supply chain and you know for the most part you know unless you've got something that's particularly rare you know you can usually get parts you know for pretty much anything within a few days um you know so that's you know that's usually not so much of a problem yeah all right uh speaking of you know uh, casey you mentioned you know supercars of yore uh when when we were all a little bit younger than we are now um <laughs> one one of those um you know that was one of the classic pieces of automotive vaporware uh, or just slightly less than vaporware was a company called vector do you remember vector no i don't think i do jerry weigert oh and yeah vector oh yep. you should google the w8 I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that at some point in your life you have seen pictures or posters of the the Vector W8. The ve- oh yeah, this does ring a bell. Um, yeah. What's They're- the other? Oh no, it's not that. The Consolier was the one with the the crazy yeah, turbo. That was Mosler, Warren Mosler. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. Yeah, that was something else entirely. <laughs> sure um, was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Certainly, it wasn't anything I'd ever actually like to look at for any length of time. It went, it was, though. Man, did that car go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, was it ugly. Uh, <laughs> um, I was trying anyway. to outrun its every reflection. All right, moving <laughs> somebody, on. Yeah, somebody, somebody, somebody is trying to revive Vector. Um, it's not clear 
if uh, Mr. Weiger has anything to do with this effort, but um, there are currently a pair of um, WX, WX3 prototypes uh, for sale. They're listed on the DuPont registry being sold as a pair for three and a half million dollars, which is that's apparently meant to kickstart a revival of, of, of Vector for with a new car. Um, I don't know how far you're going to get with three and a half million dollars. Oh, man. But, but the, like, wait, the WX3, like, that just looks old now. Yeah. Well, it is. Do. Yeah. A I mean, seven you know, liter a, twin turbocharged V8 with a three speed automatic. Oh, yep. my goodness. Oh, well, I mean, that's that's like a that's like a, a turbo hydromatic 700 R, right? Like, oh, yeah. I yeah. Mean, it, it's, you know, I mean. Well, Listen, well, that is like V8 like that. As long as you can keep it running, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's plenty of torque in there. You don't need very many gears. No. To yeah, fair, handle. fair. Like, you know and what? Fact, like, having fewer gears, you know, means it's less likely to break. Right. It can handle more torque. But it's like this is, uh, you know, this is state of 1992. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, I, I don't know how much, Dan, you remember about the history of, of Vector in the 1990s. Um, um, Jerry Weigert is a lunatic. He well, there there is that he had but, didn't he have the twin engine like STS or something too? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But you know that at some point along the way there, you know, after what seemed like decades of trying to get you know his cars into anything resembling uh, serious production, um, they finally ran out of money, and yeah. the company got taken over by an Indonesian company, right. which Aztec, had, right? Right, which had previously bought. I had also bought um, Lamborghini from Chrysler. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Neither did yeah. I. Yeah. So um, when Chrysler sold off Lamborghini, they sold it to an Indonesian company. And uh, like a year or two later, they also bought Vector uh, when it ran out of money. And so I, I think there were, you know, maybe a dozen or so of these uh, WX3s that were built with that twin turbo uh, V8, you know, which was it was based on a Chevy small block. Of course, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, I, but, no uh, complaints. Yeah, uh, but they, you know, so what happened was uh, they had moved production to a facility in Green Cove Springs, Florida, which is near Jacksonville. Uh, listen, anything that goes to Florida, like this, is just like that's it. That's not going to end well. You know it. <laughs> uh, and so, and, and as, as it happens, um, you know, the comp, you know, at the time I was working for uh, Kelsey Hayes, uh, working on ABS and traction control systems. And we had a test facility in Green Cove Springs. There, there was this sort of industrial park on, uh, on a retired uh, Naval Air Station in Green Cove Springs. And so we had a test facility there. We used uh, a couple of the runways for uh, the old runways for, for doing ABS testing. And in one of the other buildings on that same property uh, is where Aptec moved the moved the production of these vehicles into. And they re-engineered this thing uh, to utilize uh, the Lamborghini V12 from, I guess, it was probably the Diablo at that point. Yeah. Uh, instead of the uh, instead of the original V8 setup, because you know since they already had access to those V12s and they were they were being produced, um, so they re-engineered it. I think they re uh, re rebadged it as the M12, 
Um, and I remember being down there, you know, at our test track and occasionally you'd, you'd see one of these things, you know, moving around a little bit or, or at least you could see them, you know, sitting outside of the building where they were being built. And a few years later, when the company, you know, went under again, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the place had been abandoned, but there were, there were a handful of, um, the tube frame chassis that for these things that were sitting outside on a rack, just rusting away. Huh? That's terrible. You yeah. said it was the, the WX three that's going up for auction. Yeah, there's two two prototypes. Uh, there's I a, was going to say, it looks like, as per Wikipedia, those are the only two WX3s ever built. Okay, yeah, they may they may well be. Uh, there, there's a coupe and a roadster, and so they're being sold as a as a matching set. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're interested in one, um, no guarantee that they will actually function or function for any length of time, but they're out there. And huh. we'll include the we'll include the link to the Jalopnik uh, post in the show notes. I still now now I really want to find out what happened with Consolier. Oh, they they went belly up too. Yeah, although they stuck they stuck around surprisingly long. Uh, Warren Mosler kept that kept that whole thing going for a surprising amount of time. They, they sold a fair number of them. Yeah. I it just it's such a oh it's so eighties it's such a bonkers car it looks like he laid up the body like on forms in his garage he probably did yeah all right um all right next think, next up uh let's see do we want what do you, you want to talk here? about what defines genius we could talk about we can get, uh, we can get no, oh, we'll, oh all right we'll do that one next time <laughs> that, okay that's that's gonna take too long all right we're gonna get very uh, philosophical um yeah. Okay. Um, that's, that's, Fair. that's going to be another Fair Elon sense. Musk rant. So <laughs> we'll leave that one for another time. Um, all right. Uh, and then, uh, we, uh, we don't need to talk about the Ford AV safety report either. Let's just call it a night. Okay. I think that's good. Do you want to answer a question? Um, yeah, we got, we have one question, um, from, uh, John Wilson who, had uh, he asked uh, what's the best way to measure combined power gas and electric and hybrid cars after driving the Kia Niro I'm impressed with the power delivery when in sport mode on the shifter I'm curious to compare power to, in sport to other cars hybrid and traditional so basically you know what this comes down to is you know you're just you're going to add you know however much power the engine is producing to however much power and torque the electric motor is producing However, the at the peak amount of power that any particular hybrid makes and the peak amount of uh, power and torque that the electric motors make um, probably will not equal. There will probably be, if you add those numbers together, there will probably be somewhat more than whatever the rated combined power is um, by the manufacturer. Because, you know, what, what they're doing is they're, they're controlling all this stuff in software. So... Oh. When you're driving, you know, in blended power mode, you're you're gonna get a mix, you know, and they're they're usually restricting the amount of power from one or the other in order to try to maximize the overall efficiency of the system. So, like for example, the Honda Insight you were driving, Dan, uh, you know, I think if you added up what the engine is capable of and what the electric motors are capable of, it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of you know. 175, 180 horsepower, but I think the the actual rated combined power 
for that one is somewhere. I think it's about 155 roughly. Um, so, you know, they're, what they're, what they're typically doing with these things is they're, you know, they're tuning it to hit certain fuel economy numbers, you know, to, to match whatever their fuel economy budget is, you know, for, for their fleet average fuel economy and, you know, trying to balance what they think is enough power for the vehicle and, uh, and, you know, hit what the, what hit whatever their targets are and whatever the, the, if in, if you, managed to get into the software and hack it, you could probably get more combined power out of it than what they actually produce from the factory. You see, that sounds like something Casey and his buddies can help us with. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, how, how, how's your uh, how's your skills at uh, embedded code, Casey? Uh, you know, I did some in school. I what was it a Motorola HC11 I was writing assembly for. And it was that was a long time ago. I enjoyed it, but it was a long time ago. These are probably running some kind of arm chip at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Something a lot better than the than the HC11 I was using, I assure you. But I, I have hey, fun with back, it. it. Back in the day. I was writing assembly code for uh, Intel ADC one ninety six. That that was a couple of years ago. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. Wait, an eighty series processors? Like, yeah, that's yeah, that's a while ago. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's, it's basically a variant of the original right, IBM PC chip. Right, that was the eighty eighty six. Right, was the yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah or eighty eighty was the original. Right. Yeah, there, there were there were variations, different different bus widths, but. Uh, yeah, so this was the the one the one ninety six, which was uh, a microcontroller version of it. Wow! And we had we we had a grand total of twelve um, k twelve kilobytes of ROM. Uh, <laughs> ROM sixty four <laughs> bytes sixty four bytes of RAM. Oh god! And we but, had to put in squeeze an AB, whole ABS system into that. But so that's oh my word! That's like the uh, the Apollo uh, stuff too. Like you know what that makes for is it makes those limitations make really elegant, clever solutions. Where now uh, we have cold, clever, cold yes, yeah. clever, <laughs> yes. Exactly. I don't know about elegant, Cle- but clever, clever, uh, yes. I don't know. It, it depends on how you define elegant. Uh, just like uh, so this way it it requires some creativity right then that's like that's the interesting thing to me is like there's there's a lot of people who are like well can you make a fuel injection system based around an arduino and they're like yes you can but you do have to get creative around the limitations of the chip you know and and just say like you know and i forget exactly uh you know what some of those limitations are but some of the solutions are, are just sort of like just fantastically clever and you're like oh i never would have thought of doing it that way that's really interesting and it's like that's some of the things that were were done for you know the fuel injection systems back in the the 80s 70s and 80s but because they just didn't have the raw processing speed so that you had to do other things to make it work and and be robust and stuff so anyway we're completely off track now but uh <laughs> yeah if you want to um get the combined powers i so the other thing that seems weird to me about like combining the power of the electric motor and the gas engine is that the electric motor's peak torque is at zero RPM. And so how does that work when you're, you know, combining it with a system that's all well, about spinning? And, and this, this is one of the reasons why, you know, in hybrid vehicles, they always uh, retune the engine to run on an Atkinson cycle because the Atkinson cycle is more, more, much more efficient. So, you know, what they do, well, essentially what they do is they keep the intake valve open longer so that, as the piston goes past top dead center, the intake valve 
stays open longer um, and you end up having a shorter effective compression stroke and a longer power stroke and it's more efficient but it, it produces a lot less torque but because the the electric motor produces its torque right from zero rpm it fills that torque hole and so hmm. you still have acceptable performance that's fascinating yeah yeah See, these are the kinds of things you learn from listening to the, the wheel bearings podcast yeah, I know. See, I, I am so far behind on all of my podcasts. It is ridiculous. Turns out when uh, when you aren't just slogging away at code all day, you have less time for listening to podcasts, which is the, the one small bummer. Yeah, well. Yeah. I have the problem where if I'm listening to a podcast and trying to do other tasks, such as like write copy. Oh, yeah. I, no, I, can't, I can't concentrate. Yeah, writing and writing and podcasts don't work. Don't work so no. well. No, sometimes you start code or copy or right. articles. Sometimes you start transcribing what you're listening to by mistake. I <laughs> go, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wait. See, all right. Um, well, you know what? One, one more thing about the, the computing power. Um, last weekend, I was writing my my next column for Automotive Engineering Magazine. And, you know, I was thinking because uh, I'd been uh, reading uh what was i reading oh uh, I, I was reading uh, larry burns new book on the development of autonomous vehicles and we're, we're going to have an interview with him on in a couple of weeks um when the book comes out but um in there you know there's a section uh talks a little bit about the uh computing or, or i had a question about the computing power on the chevy tahoe that won the darpa urban challenge in 2008 so i sent a note to uh, brian Seleski who's the CEO at Argo AI. And he led the software design effort on that, on that vehicle. And this was in 2006 when this thing was built and it ran in 2007. And they, the, the back of the Chevy Tahoe was filled with a rack of computers. They had 10 blade servers, <laughs> each one, each one oh, with uh, a, a 2.1 gigahertz core two duo chip on it. And I looked up the, specs on this thing and you know it, it had a whetstone benchmark of like 180 million instructions per second on each of those chips so combined you could have a theoretical max of like 1.8 billion instructions per second and the stuff that they're running today for you know autonomous vehicles the the latest the nvidia xavier chip which they're shipping to customers starting to ship to customers now that thing is rated at 30 teraflops so that's like fifteen thousand times faster fifteen thousand times more performance than what was in that tahoe that won the darpa urban challenge well, and but the next generation one that they're starting to test now is the the nvidia drive pegasus system that one is 320 teraflops yeah but so, so but that's the difference too like the the intel core 2 duos that like that's a general purpose Oh yeah, processor it's, versus the fact that they're using GPUs right. now makes a huge difference in the performance. Are, are GPUs like they're they're not like what are GPUs made up of? Is it like you know FPGAs or is it just like no? They're um, well, Casey, do you, do you want to answer? Uh, that you know, off the top of my head, I don't know. It's okay. it, it's been a long time since I've looked at this sort of stuff. I live in software. I don't live in hardware anymore. Yeah, so. Listen, your software needs a place to run, buddy. Yeah, but that's all magic, man. I don't have to worry about that. Are you know, um, you know, the individual cores are they're architected a little different, but they're they're not they're they're um, more simplified 
compared to a CPU, you know, compared to a general purpose CPU, you know, they're more, they're, they're more risk-like, right. you know, the reduced instruction set. But the thing is, they're highly parallelized. So, you know, instead of having two cores, like a Core 2 Duo, you know, some of these modern GPUs have like 300, 400, right. 500 cores on a chip. You know, so you, you're doing, you're running all these parallel instructions and it's just insane performance. Also insane power consumption, but you know, <laughs> minor detail. That's fine. We can heat up the water and split it into hydrogen. Yeah. <laughs> and we've come full circle. Hey. Perfect. All right. With that, let's call it a night. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us again. Yep, thank, thank you so much, you guys, as always. Uh, it is always a pleasure. And uh, anytime you get bored and want me to uh, ruin, I mean, uh, come on your show. Uh, hey, you never, you've never ruined the show. You're, you're always entertaining. Listen, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. All, all right. right. Catch and everyone we'll next see week. See you all next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.